somebody give him a great big praise tonight. Come on, if you got something to praise him for, if you got something to thank him for, tell you one reason to praise him this morning three more people were baptized in Jesus name and filled with the Holy Ghost this morning we baptized Imana in Jesus name she came out of the water speaking in tongues actually she received the Holy Ghost before she went down in the water. Come on, let's give God a praise. Then we baptized Kishandra in Jesus' name. She came out of the water speaking in other tongues. As God filled her with the... You ought to shout now! Yeshiva in Jesus' name. And she received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Y'all ready? One, two, one, two, three, shout! remain right where you are in this posture of worship music y'all don't stop tonight how many of you are thankful to have pastor and first lady Fishburne with us all the way from Huntington Indiana so glad they stopped in I asked him to deliver the word of the Lord to us how many y'all ready to preach with the preacher tonight one more time put your hands together and give God a great big praise as he comes to deliver the word of the Lord to us tonight When I think of the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for me, there's something in my soul that demands a response. There's something in my spirit. I was created. I said I was created. Honey, you were created. 
I feel so at home, it's a little frightening. I don't know whether to be scared for me or scared for you. But I came to give hell a bad night. It's good to be in Fort Myers. Good to be with Bishop and First Lady Williams. Somebody give God thanks for your pastor. I've seen some preachers that were fluff and buff and could say all the right things and do the right things with the microphone, but they weren't. I told you I feel at home. They weren't worth their salt. But you don't have to worry about that tonight. Brother and Sister Williams are the real deal. And it is my wife and I's honor, our privilege. We really did just come to have church with y'all today. But it is my honor to stand behind this pulpit. I do not take it lightly. I do not take it lightly. But this morning before we got in the car to head to church, God dropped this message in my spirit this afternoon. I was going back over my notes, refreshing my mind and praying. I remembered I've never finished these notes. I've got plenty, but I've never made it through all of it in a service. So tonight's not any different. We're just going to follow the Holy Ghost tonight. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Job chapter 39. To our home church, who I'm sure when they get out of service tonight will go back and join us via the internet. I love you. I miss you. My wife and I are praying for you, even though we're not in town. And just because we're out of town doesn't mean I'm not your pastor. I love you. I know you've had great church today. Job chapter 39 and verse 13. Gavest thou the goodly wings unto the peacocks, or wings and feathers unto the ostrich, which leaveth her eggs in the earth and warmeth them in dust, and forgetteth that the foot may crush them or that the wild beast may break them. She is hardened against her young ones as though they were not hers. Her labor is in vain without fear. Because God hath deprived her of wisdom, neither hath he imparted to her understanding. What times she lifteth up herself on high, she scorneth the horse and his rider. I understand tonight, you've never heard me preach. I've never preached to you. So if you just ride with me for a few minutes, I promise you we're going to go somewhere in the Holy Ghost tonight. We're going to preach with the help of the Holy Ghost, the breakout. 
the breakout. Let's go before the Lord in prayer tonight. God, I love you. Lord, I thank you for this great church. God, I thank you for this great pastor and first lady. God, I thank you for every soul in Fort Myers, Florida. God, I thank you for Christian Life Tabernacle of Huntington, Indiana. God, I thank you for all you are doing in this place tonight, all you've already done. I pray, God, that your, your word would not return void. Let your will be done in this place tonight in the name of Jesus. Uh, why don't you clap your hands to the Lord tonight? In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. You can be seated. We find in the book of Job a story that is not unfamiliar to many of us. We find Job being attacked by Satan. We find God is giving Satan permission to do the things that he is doing. We find Job's servants running to him one after another. They've all got bad reports. Master, I was with the oxen. They were grazing. We were having a good time. Everything was business as usual. And here comes the enemy. Master, I was with the sheep and we were leading them through green pastures. We were doing our due diligence and along comes the enemy. They capture the sheep. They slay the servants and only I am escaped to tell you. Master, I was with the camels. Master, I was with the servants and so on and so forth until the last servant comes running and he says, Master, I was with your children. And instantly fear grips Job as I imagine him responding like any father would respond. He collapses to the floor and he's gripping himself, screaming in anguish, please do not give me this report. Oh, but master, I got to tell you, we were in your oldest son's house and there we were having a feast. They were partying. They were living life as if they had another day. And now a wind comes blowing in and master I hate to tell you but the house falls down and every one of your children are gone and the servants are with them and over and over and over again and Job's house is in shambles. His possessions are gone and for over 30 chapters of the book of Job. We hear wisdom. We hear poetry of Job's friends as they have come to comfort him. I pray that you don't have any friends that comfort you like Job's friends comforted him. But for 30 chapters, they come and they comfort him. We hear Job defending himself. He's proclaiming his righteousness. He's proclaiming his purity before God. He's proclaiming his blamelessness. And then finally, if you read chapter 38, you come to the point where God steps into the scene and begins speaking not to angelic beings, not to Satan, but God begins speaking to Job. As his God, as his master, as his savior, he begins to speak to Job. And from chapter 38 through chapter 41, God is saying things like, Job, where were you? 
Where were you when I hung the stars like a curtain? Were you there when I spoke and light divided from the darkness? Were you there when water in the firmament separated from water that was beneath the firmament? Job, have you seen the place where hail is made and stored? Have you walked on streets of gold? So on and so forth. God begins listing and describing all sorts of majesty, all sorts of majestic creation and creative processes and he goes on to begin to describe all sorts of majestic animals. He's asking Job, Job where were you? What part did you take in their creation? Till we find our main text in Job 39 in verse 13 gavest thou the goodly wings Unto the peacocks, or wings and feathers unto the ostrich, which leaveth her eggs in the earth and warmeth them in the dust, and forgetteth that the foot may crush them or that the wild beast may break them. Job, please tell me, did you do those things? Job, were you part of the process? Were you there? Did you create the ostrich who lays her eggs in the sand? Not as most birds do. Most birds uh, lay their eggs in nests uh, made of branches in trees or they lay their eggs in the crags of the rocks uh, where they are inaccessible to man and they are harder to reach for the predator. It was as if God takes a moment and he asks Job, did you create the forget? ostrich who is forgetful of the fact that the wild beast might pass along are you uh, were you part of the process job to create this ostrich who is forgetful of the traveler that might come and step on the eggs you see where the eggs had been covered by a layer of sand if they had been covered with a, a foot or so of sand the danger is not there but job did you create part because you see Job when the eggs are numerous there are sometimes as many as 30 eggs in the nest Job did you create it so the dominant female would lay her eggs in the center and the rest of the subservient ostriches would come and lay theirs around but, but Job they're not created as brilliantly as other creation is created. You see, this ostrich often wanders away from her eggs. She doesn't stay near them to guard them. I promise you, I promise you, I promise you we're going somewhere. She's not like other egg-laying mamas who stay close to guard their eggs. But she is almost, it seems, unmindful of the danger that would happen to the egg when she is absent. She forgets that the foot 
of the traveler may crush them. They're laid in the ground where the traveler may walk. They're laid on the sand of the seashore uh, where the traveler may tread. They may trample upon them unawares and crush them to pieces to prevent, which this creature has no foresight. This ostrich, Job, she doesn't understand, but were you part of that creative process? Or that the wild beast may break them. Maybe they're not in a place where the traveler would step on them, but they are. there are wild beasts, and the ostrich's egg may be as easily broken by the one as the other, but it just doesn't uh, the, the, the ostrich doesn't think that way. It doesn't have the instinct in its nature to protect what God has given her. She's hardened against her young ones. Verse 16 says, as though they were not hers. Her labor is in vain without fear because God hath deprived her of wisdom. Neither hath he imparted to her understanding. What time she lifteth up herself on high, she scorneth the horse and the rider. It's unlike any other passage in the book of Job where God begins to describe. God takes time to talk about an ostrich. Why in the world would God take time to talk about a funny looking flightless bird? Let me preach to you tonight that God doesn't waste words. In the middle of talking about all of these majestic and beautiful creatures, the peacock, the horse and its rider, who, who run, they jump their way into battle. It's, it's majestic in everything, the lines of the animal. It, it's just a beautiful, and then you've got the ostrich. It's ugly. It's dumb. It's in, if I stick my head in the sand, everything goes away kind of situation. Why would God insert a statement about this silly looking bird and her uncaring practices of motherhood? Then we read in Deuteronomy chapter 22 in verse 5. A portion of scripture that's, again, not unfamiliar to you and I. Verse 5 says, The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all that do so are abomination unto the Lord thy God. We still preach that. We still believe that. That's a hallmark of being apostolic. I'm not going to look like the world. I'm not going to sound like the world. I'm not going to dress like the world. We believe it. We preach it. But the words don't stop there. Then he goes on in verse 6. If a bird's nest chance to be before thee in the way, in any tree or on the ground, whether they be young ones or eggs, and the dam sitting upon the young or upon the eggs, thou shalt not take the dam with the young, but thou shalt in any wise let the dam go, take the young to thee, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest prolong thy days. When thou buildest a new house, then thou shalt make a battlement of the for the roof, that thou bring not blood upon thine house if any man fall from thence. It seems random in the midst of preaching about holiness and building walls around the top of the roof so nobody who's passing by has a flower pot fall on him. He's preaching about birds. God's taking time to lay the groundwork of this is what you do when you come upon an, a nest with eggs in it. 
He takes time out of his conversation with Job and he spends what seems like extra time talking about an ostrich and her unmotherly practices with her eggs. What in the world is God doing? I began to ask myself, why would God waste space in the Bible to mention these seemingly simple, boring, insignificant things like eggs? you got to understand I grew up on an 18-acre produce farm with five greenhouses. My kids, while we're on vacation, are staying with my parents. We got a video the other day of my son carrying chickens from the boiling pot into the butcher room. We've been around some chickens. I've got an uncle in Kentucky that's got 75,000 chickens. And I began thinking, why in the world, Pastor, is God spending time teaching us about what to do with eggs. Why in the world is God wasting space? Surely, surely, surely. And with the day and age and the things that he knew that we were going to be facing, surely God could have put something else there. Surely God could have said, uh, he could have just reiterated, come out from the world. Be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing. But why has he got to take time to say, if you're trimming your hedge and you come upon a bird's nest with eggs in it, you got to go around it. began to ask myself, what in the world? So I began to look more closely at the eggs. You see, let me go geeky farm kid on you for a minute. The anatomy of an egg. Some of y'all scratching your head thinking, Pastor, please, please get, grab that microphone. He's preaching about eggs. Some of us, the only thing we know about eggs is scramble. Hello? Over easy. Make them runny. Let me dip my toast in them. Hey. But when you start looking at eggs, you start thinking, and you start looking at that shell, the anatomy of an egg, the first thing that you see when you're walking through a store is you see that bumpy and grainy shell, yeah, that, that shell that's protecting what you want, that shell that's protecting that yolk, that shell that's protecting that, that good breakfast that you're ready to have. But you see, that's more than just... A shell. That shell, if you were to put it underneath a microscope, you would, and, and you took the time to count, you would count as many as 17,000 tiny pores in that eggshell. That eggshell is a semi permeable membrane, which means that air and moisture can pass through the pores. The shell also has a thin outermost coating called the bloom or the cuticle that helps keep out bacteria and dust. Somebody say, Lord, thank you for the shell. If you were to move beyond the shell, again, bear with me for a moment. If you were to move beyond the shell, you would find an inner and outer membrane lying between the egg shell and the egg white. They are two transparent protein membranes. It provides defense against bacterial invasion. They're made partly of keratin, which is a protein that's also in human hair. Some of y'all have more keratin than others of us have, but thank God for the keratin. 
If you were to move beyond the inner and outer membranes, you would find an airspace that forms when the contents of the egg are cooled and contract after the hen lays the egg. That's why if you were to take an egg and put it in a, a pot of water, if you like hard-boiled eggs, and you would find that the, the fat end of that egg pops to the surface because there is an air cell inside that egg. The air cell usually rests between the outer and inner membranes at the egg's larger end. It accounts for the crater that you often see at the end of a hard-boiled egg. That air cell begins to grow larger as the egg ages. If you were to look beyond the air cell, you'd find something called the egg white, which contains approximately 40 different proteins, alternating layers. There's so much there. We're moving on. If you move beyond the egg white, then you would find opaque ropes of egg white that hold the yolk at the center of the egg. And it's, it's like little anchors that attach to each end of the yolk's casing. And they, they extend out and they hold the yolk uh, 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 there in the middle of the egg, suspended in the middle of that egg. And they are designed to give and take as that egg matures and as that embryo becomes a chick and as uh, as they begin to grow you begin to see the the ropes of the egg white move and they're designed to provide stability inside the egg you move beyond that there's another membrane and there's a yolk we know what the yolk is but did you know there's vitamins, minerals inside that yolk? Iron, vitamin A, vitamin D, phosphorus, calcium, thiamine, riboflavin. The yolk is a source uh, of an emulsifier that helps the yolk to grow and mature. The yolk color ranges from just a hint of yellow to a magnificent deep orange according to the feed and breed of the hen. That, that's, that's an egg. Okay? Y'all didn't come tonight wanting to know about eggs. Y'all didn't get out of your car and walk across the parking lot and say, man, I really hope that preacher talks about eggs tonight. We have shouted, we have danced, we have screamed, we have run, we have sang. Man, the only thing missing is just to get some more information about eggs. So I know what I'm eating when I, when I go to Waffle House. That's an egg in a nutshell, but beyond your refrigerator, beyond the carton that you see on a daily basis, beyond that yellow mixture in a frying pan, there's another aspect of eggs that we often uh, cannot afford to skip over. There's a, an element to the life and the lifespan of an egg uh, that we don't preach about a lot, that I, I hadn't thought about a lot, but it, it's called hatching. Webster defines the word hatch as to produce young by incubation, to emerge from an egg, a chrysalis, or a pupa, to give forth young, to incubate eggs, to produce young from an egg by applying natural or artificial heat. You say, big deal, preacher, I don't really care about eggs. We're preaching about the breakout. The hatching process captured my attention. 
It's actually a beautiful process. In three weeks, in just three weeks, an egg transforms from what is essentially similar to a fertilized table egg into a live, complete chick in just three weeks. In a commercial Hatchery, the climax of this transformation, the hatching of the chick occurs in the dark and it occurs behind closed doors. It's not seen. It's only known after the fact. This is another message for another time. But God ingrained in that chick from its conception what is known as a circadian rhythm. What does that mean? That means that that chicken does not need the sunlight to know when it is morning. That's why on the darkest of his days, the apostle Peter was standing in the courtyard and had denied Christ three times. And the chicken began to crow before the sun ever began to shine because the chicken understood. Listen, Pete, I know it's still dark right now, but from my inception, I know without knowing from external experience, there's something on the inside of me that knows knows when day is getting ready to break. There's something on the inside of me that does not need the sun to shine to know that it's on its way. The beauty and the relevance of the hatching process is not something that should remain behind closed doors. Some of y'all think, man, this dude is nuts. Go back to Indiana, bro. I will next Saturday. Flying home. The breakout. As incubation draws to an end, the chick starts to fill the egg nearly completely. I'm still preaching about why God would take up precious space in his word to talk to us about eggs. However, the fact that the chick is expanding to fill the egg completely is not the trigger for the start of the hatching process. It is around day 18 of incubation that the chick starts uh, uh, to retract the residual yolk into its body cavity. It begins to absorb the nutrients from its surroundings. Up until this point, the, the growing chick has been pulling gases in through the 17,000 pores in the eggshell. But now the chick is to the point where just... Uh, diffusion from the outside, the, the carbon dioxide and the oxygen from, that it's this soaking in through the, the pores of the shell is not enough. I need more. It's not enough. What I've been getting the same way that I've been living, the same processes I've been going, I've grown to the point where those processes are not enough. Let me preach to somebody tonight. You're at the point where the prayer life that you have kept is no longer enough to sustain where God wants to take you. 
Well, I don't know why pastor asked us to fast for seven days because pastor understands that your normal process is not enough to get you to where God wants you to go. It's not enough. God wants more for you. There's a man here under the sound of my voice and I could come put my finger on the end of your nose. God told me during worship service, it's time for you to stop living on the leftovers. I said, it's time for you to stop living on the leftovers. It's time for you to just suck it in from the 17,000 pores and thinking you're going to be who God called you to be. No, sir. No, sir. It's time. It's time to grow. Up until this point, the growing chick has just sucked in or diffused the necessary gases in order to breathe. However, the oxygen demand in this embryo is increasing as it grows. And because it becomes more active and its normal respiration practices are running short, it can't keep up. The normal processes cannot keep up. In other words, the thing that sparks that chick into moving out of the shell is the fact that it literally cannot breathe any longer. It is the fact that that chick feels like it's suffocating. It is the fact that if I don't move, I'm going to die. If something doesn't give, I'm never going to make it. Let me preach to you tonight. Your discomfort might just be the trigger that God's wanting to use to get you out of your shell. I don't want the discomfort. Neither did Jacob, but he still wrestled with the angel until the breaking of day. It affected the way that he walked, but it also changed his name. It also changed his posterity. I wonder tonight what some of us might be willing to go through to change our name. I wonder what some of us might be willing to go through to become the men and women of God that he's called us to be. God, I feel like I'm suffocating. I feel like I'm, I'm just barely getting by. That might just be the case because God is trying to get you ready to break out. God's saying you've grown beyond the point of your comfort zone. I wonder tonight if any of us would be willing to say, I'm in that place. I'm ready to break out. I'm ready to break out. I'm ready to get out from where I am. This shortage of oxygen triggers that chick to start lung respiration. But this isn't, this isn't the way I've been doing it. This isn't what got me to this point. You're right, it's not. The chick instinctively begins to get ready. I'm talking every single chicken that has ever been hatched went through this process. I don't know about down here in, in Fort Myers, but up home, and maybe it's just because we're hillbillies. I don't know. And you can walk into the gas station. I'm not sorry, not the gas station, the hardware store. Sometimes they're one and the same. You walk into the hardware store, and there's a feeding trough there, and you can just pick out whatever chicks you want. Hey. To me, all young men wish it was that easy. <laughs> Just trying to make sure you're still awake. <laughs> 
Your mom and dad ask you, hey, what you been doing today? I've been picking up chicks. That means something completely different to a farmer, okay? They, it may not be that way in Fort Myers, but, but up home it is. You can walk in, but every, every single chick that has ever been hatched has gone through this process. It, it instinctively puts its head underneath its right wing. And its beak is pointing toward the membrane separating the egg contents from that air cell. That part that gets dimpled when you hard-boiled the egg is that chick's life support before he hatches. He's got his head underneath his right wing and his beak is posed. And at the right moment, he understands it's ingrained in him. I'm running out of air and I need more. I'm running out of air and I got to do something. I've been coming to church faithfully. I've been feeling the presence of God. I'm not trying to backslide. I just got to do something different. I've still been growing. I've still been used of God. But God's wanting to take us to another level. But I've got to be willing to break out. And that chick puts its head underneath its right wing with that beak pointed at that air cell. And at an average of 19 days and 12 hours of incubation. The chick pierces that inner membrane and starts lung ventilation in the air cell. I just don't know how I'm going to make it. Preacher, I don't know. I want to run. I want to shout like everybody else's. I just don't know how to do it. Let me preach to you tonight. It contained in your package of repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, the infilling of the Holy Ghost, and holy living is everything you need to make it. I said it's everything that you need to make it. If you're going to... I told you I felt at home. I'm just going to be myself for a moment, a, a moment here. Everything that I need to make it. If I'm going to pray every day, if I'm going to read my Bible every day, if I'm going to fast at least once a week or however long pastor tells me to fast, it's going to be easy to live for God. Because if you live for God easily, it's going to be hard. But if you go in with everything you've got, honey, it's as easy as one, two, three. Because everything you need, God has already supplied. So at an average of 19 days and 12 hours, the chick pierces the membrane starts breathing from the cell of air that God put there for that moment. However, the air cell is not forever. I can't get locked into the misconception that I'll just hang out inside my shell because, baby, I got the air cell and I'm just going to live here. No, honey, your air supply is limited. The piercing of the inner membrane, the start of lung ventilation is called internal pipping. 
even though the first lung respiration has started, the diffusion of gases through those 17,000 pores in the shell remains important. It's a combination of, of the, the way we've been doing it and stepping out a little bit. It's a combination of I'm not going to forsake what I've been doing. I'm not going to think just because God's using me that I can stop praying and I can stop reading the word and I can stop living holy. I, no, 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 no. You're not, you got to understand what I'm saying. We're not moving away. We're moving on to. We're bringing those things. It remains important for respiration up until the, the 20th day. It started at 19 days and 12 hours. But for 12 hours, it required both. But now we're at day 20. And the internal pipping can't be seen from the outside of the egg. Before you ever see the little chicks running around in the trough at the hardware store. There's been a long process to get them to where they are. In fact, it can only be detected by doing what they call candling. It's where you hold an egg up to a light and you can see inside and you can see what's going on inside that egg. Furthermore, during that 12-hour period, that chick may have started clicking. Or peeping. Big deal. It is a big deal when I start thinking that that chick is one out of many in a nest. And Pastor, what that chick is doing is letting its buddy next to him saying, hey, I need you to hear me. I know you don't feel like you're making it right now. I know I might be further along in the incubation process than you are, but I'm, I'm letting you know from the inside of my cell, I'm letting you know there's a change that's going on. There's something going on in my world. I want you to know I've grown to the point where there's got to be a change. And I want you to know, even though you feel like you're suffocating, I'm making it. Keep doing it. Keep struggling. If you're struggling and I keep struggling, don't give up. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. He starts clicking. He starts peeping from inside the egg. In that way, the chicks begin communicating with each other while they are still inside the egg. Before there has ever been any, any exposure on the outside, before there's ever been any breakthrough. Brother, when I was in the prayer room and I begin praying and my buddies are across the room and I know he's struggling and I'm struggling, but I start feeling something. I start feeling some strength or I go and I'm talking to my pastor and I'm saying pastor listen and my pastor's praying for it. he's saying listen you're going to make it I know you don't feel like it I know you don't see how it's going to work out but there's a breakout coming if the hatching environment is quiet 
they can trigger each other. I didn't write this. Some scientific chicken researcher. I have eaten a lot of eggs. I haven't studied one. But science tells you that if the hatching environment is quiet, free of distraction, free the white noise of the world, free of the voices, free of the influencers, And those chicks begin to trigger each other with their sounds of growth, with their sounds of breaking out. They begin to start the, the process of hatching. But let me preach to you tonight. It does not stop with internal pipping. There is, and the scientists literally named it, the art of the chick breaking through the shell. There is what is known as external pipping. 12 hours after it has pierced the inner membrane, the chick starts tapping. Tapping the eggshell. We have this image in our mind of that chick just all bottled up in there and just whoop, popping out. Honey, that's not the way that it works. That's not the way at all. That chick begins tapping. It begins tapping. It begins tapping. Let me break it down into Florida language. It's got what's called a beak tooth. An alligator has a beak tooth. A snake, oh, God forbid, has a beak tooth. The chick begins tapping repeatedly. I'm sorry, it's an egg tooth. It's a sharp and strong structure that can temporarily be found on the top of the beak of the chick. It's repeatedly tapping the eggshell in the same spot. It may not have a complete breakthrough all at once, but if I can break through this one spot, I may come into the church house and I don't feel like running the aisles. I don't feel like shouting. I don't feel like doing cartwheels and backflips. I don't feel like crowd surfing. But bless God, if I come into the house and I make up my mind, I'm going to clap my hands until I feel it. All of a sudden, that chick begins to break through that one spot. Let me preach to you tonight. It's that one spot. That's all that it takes for that chick to get that fresh breath of air to know there really is something out there. There really is something on the other side. How might we respond if that next prayer meeting, how might we respond if that next day of fasting breaks through the shell? 
You don't understand, preacher. I've been beating on this door a long time. You don't understand, preacher. I've been knocking on those doors. I've been praying that prayer a long time. But what if today is the day? Like pastor preached this morning. What if today is the day that it breaks? What if today... So he breaks through in one spot. But the one spot, while he's thankful for that rush of air, one spot's not enough. The shell has grown weak in that one spot. Eventually, Better breakthrough in that one spot. Preacher, you don't understand how much work that took. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. At this point in this chick's life, we're still preaching about chickens. Pipping demands great effort. The pipping muscle. God designed that chick with a specific muscle to break through. It's a neck muscle. It's used to make this specific movement. It is used to just push the beak again and again and again and again. I'm tired of praying, preacher, but that's what it was designed for. I'm tired of worshiping, preacher, but that's what it was designed for. It's to help you break through. It's to help you get out. It's to help you grow. By this point, the pipping muscle is bulging by the time that that chick has finished hatching from the outside of that shell. It doesn't start with a complete breakthrough, but it starts with a small star-shaped crack or a little tiny hole in the eggshell that can be observed. And sometimes you see the beak pointing out. But brother, what happens is that chick, once it gets one hole through, that chick moves over just a little bit. I'm not going to the other side of the egg because I know this is a weak spot and that effort that it took to break through here. The effort that it took to break through in this spot has also weakened the next spot. The breakthrough that it took to get the first bus route started has weakened the area that we need to break through to get the second route started. And once I get through that spot, then I'm going on to another neighborhood and another neighborhood. And the effort that it took to get the first soul filled, the effort that it took to get my first family member in the house of God has weakened the resolve of the shell. So that chick begins moving systematically from one spot to the next, turning completely. It's a line of breakthrough until he gets three quarters of that shell off. Then it becomes more than just neck movement. 
it becomes more than just one wing movement. Then with everything that chick has, it pushes its head against the top of that shell and the blood begins flowing and that chick begins to push. And before long, that chick is out in the incubator or in the nest. You can watch it. There's, there's videos. You can look at pictures. You can read the books. When that chick escapes, it lays there. And its body is racked from the wearing out it's taken. It's racked from the abuse of breaking through. That pipping muscle is bulging. It's covered with embryonic fluid. It's covered with fragments of shell. But it's there and it's made it out. It's taken everything that I've got, but I'm out. I don't feel like moving anymore, but I'm out. And what started as interior pipping, what started as internal pipping, all of a sudden now you can watch the videos. That chick, that first one that breaks out, it pulls itself up. After having rested just a moment, just 30 seconds or so, it hears the internal pipping from its brother or its sister, and it drags its, I'm telling you, I watched it. I've seen it happen. I might buy an incubator just to have it on hand. That chick breaks through and drags itself. I'm talking, it doesn't get up and walk. It drags itself, its whole body effort over to where its brother or sister is trying to break through. And he's laying on the outside saying, buddy, I know you can do it. You're going to make it. I made it. You can make it. I made it out. You can make it out. And the one's breakthrough gives way for another's breakthrough. And then when the two are out, then they go to the third. And as they, then they split into groups. And before long, they're cheering everybody else on saying, hey, guess what? We made it out. You can make it out. I made it out. You can make it out. I've come to encourage somebody tonight. I've made it out, and you can make it out. I don't care how dark it is. I've been through some dark spots. Growing up in a preacher's home didn't make me immune I've battled depression I've had suicidal thoughts I'm just going to be real I attempted once but I made it out I said I made it out. And if I made it out, you can make it out. I just, we're in this far. We're just going to keep being real. 
My wife and I are in Florida this week to celebrate our anniversary on Friday. Thank you. She's the queen. She was in her mid-twenties. She was married. Wasn't to me. She had two babies. They were one and three when her husband got sick. The man never missed a day of work. Went to the doctor for six months. He said, we're sorry, sir. We don't know what's wrong. We think, we think it's mono. Take these meds, so on and so forth. He's working third shift. Comes out. She's mowing the grass. He said, Brittany, look at my mouth. He opened his mouth, and inside of his mouth was covered with white sores. They get in the car, and they go to the doctor. Do a blood test. You got to understand, Huntington, Indiana is not quite as big as Fort Myers. You can be anywhere in Huntington in 10 minutes with time to spare. They leave the doctor's office. They go home. When they get home, the doctor himself calls and said, Mr. and Mrs. Osman, I need you to come back now. They walk back in. Doctor meets him at the front door. That's not good. Walks him to a consultation room. He sits down. He said, I don't really know how to tell you this, but Brent, you have acute myeloid leukemia. And you've had it for a while. I'm transferring you to the hospital in Fort Wayne. The only way I will not load you in an ambulance and take you is if you promise me you'll go home, get a change of clothes, and go straight there. If you can't promise me that, we're going to the emergency room. I'm loading you in an ambulance. I'm going to transfer you. Long story short, they go home. They pack a bag. They head to the hospital. The boys are with her mom. That night, they put him in a medically induced coma. And two weeks later, he's gone. She's a mom with three-year-old, one-year-old boys. Pastor called her. It's going to be okay. No, it's not. Everything I ever wanted. God. Wanted a house where my kids all had the same last name. service back and churches gathered around her. Find the joy 
is no joy. But she made it. I don't know how it's going to work out. It's taken everything I've got. But let me preach to you tonight that God inserted two places in Scripture just to let you know, don't mess with the egg. I know it's not visible right now, but it's going to make it. I've come to encourage somebody tonight. You might be one one prayer meeting away. You might be one worship service. You might be one altar call away from the breakout. Hell wants you to think it's over. Hell wants you to think you're washed up. Hell wants you to think it's done. Stop trying. It's going to cost you too much. It's going to wear you out too much. You're going to have to spend too many hours at the church. You're going to have to pray too much to do that. You're going to have to fast too much to do that. You're going to have to worship too much. Do you know what that's going to take? Yes, I know. I know exactly how much it's going to take. But we're not part of a church that's interested in forsaking those who are struggling to become. This isn't a church. I know I've just been with you this morning and tonight, but I can feel this isn't a church that's going to walk away from those who need to break out. This is a mother who is concerned with your making it that's why your pastor preached the way that he did this morning it's not easy to stand behind a pulpit and preach the way that he did knowing it's hitting close to home to some of you but he loves you enough to encourage you from the outside you're gonna make it you're gonna make it you're gonna make it musicians you can come This is a church that isn't going to sit idly by like the ostrich and just carelessly place the eggs. Say, well, you know what? Somebody happens to come along and trample on them. Whatever. They're just eggs. There'll be more where that came from. This isn't a church that's baptizing so many people. We're just going to forget about those who are just, they might fall through the cracks. No, this is a church that's saying, you know what, listen, there's some folks in this building that have been through some things. There's some folks in this building that if you could have seen them when they first came, you'd have thought, you know what, somebody please step on that egg. I told you this morning about the lady. Her husband said, Pastor, please, let, her, let us come back to church. We're, you know, 
She's about to tear the house apart. What I didn't tell you is that Sister Tracy Jessup, before she came to church, was a raging alcoholic. I'm talking, she's, she's not even five and a half foot tall. She'd get drunk. She was ferocious. She came home one night from the bar asking her husband for more money to go back to the bar. And he said, no. She grabs an umbrella with a metal point and tries to run him through. She's got, got a testimony like a lot of you. She's saying, you know what? I made it out. I made it out. I made it out. There's another lady in our church who's been hurt so many times, so on and so forth. It's a long story and, and not really anybody's business but hers and Jesus. But, but she came to church. She, she woke up one morning and she wasn't in the toxic relationship that she had been in before. And, and her husband at the time had kept her from coming to church. And he was abusive and, and just a, a bad situation. But she woke up one morning and she said, you know what? I can go to church. There ain't nobody here to tell me I can't go to church. I'm tired of living the way that I've been. I'm suffocating. I need more. She came to church. God miraculously, gloriously filled her with the Holy Ghost. She'd been baptized in Jesus' name. She's got such a level of sensitivity to the Holy Ghost. She works in a retirement community for Catholic nuns and priests. She's a licensed practicing nurse. She was lead on her shift one day. Young man runs out of the room. He's her CNA. He's her helper. He said, so-and-so, I can't tell your names. Listen, I just mixed up somebody's medication. I messed it up. This nun is in there on the floor. She's turning blue. I don't know what to do. Sister Kathy ran into that room and she said, Pastor, she said there wasn't anything to do. But because of what she had been through, she wasn't real concerned about being politically correct. She wasn't real concerned about public opinion. She knelt down on the floor in a Catholic retirement community and picked up that little nun who wasn't breathing, whose heart was stopping. And she said, Pastor, I started to pray and I started speaking in tongues. And God brought that lady back to life because she said, if God brought me out, he could bring her out. If God made me, he can, ah, if God helped me get out, he can do it again. He can do it again. He can do it again. I wonder if I got anybody in this room. Says, you know what? I'm tired of living where I've been living. I feel like I'm suffocating. Listen, that's not a bad thing. Ask the chicken. I feel like I'm suffocating. I feel like I've grown as much as I can grow inside this shell. Then, ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get rid of the shell.
It's not time to give up. So I just feel like the box is constraining me. The box of whatever, the box of relationship, the box of procrastination, the box of my culture, the box of my city, the box of my family, the box of my habits, the box of my past. I just can't grow beyond the box. Then burn the box. Get rid of the box. It's time to break out. Well, is there anybody in this place right now? Would you lift up your hands? Make your way to this altar. Maybe you're in this place and you say, no, you know what? I'm in a good spot spiritually. I've already broken out. Then would you lift your voice and let your voice be heard? A voice of encouragement for somebody else that needs to break out. Because the last time I read the book of Acts, Paul and Silas were locked up in a prison cell. And they began to sing and give God praise at the midnight hour. And not only their chains fell off, but it rocked the house. There were souls saved because they practiced external praise when they were falling apart, when their mission felt compromised, when they felt at their wit's end. I come to preach to you tonight. It's time. It is time. It is time. Today is the day of salvation. It's time to bust loose. It's time to break out. It's time to get out. It's time to grow. It's time to breathe. It's time to enlarge your borders. Come on, lift your voice. Come on, lift your voice. Come on, man of God. Something has to break. Come on, woman of God. It's not just for your neighbor. It's for you. Come on, Fort Myers. Come on, rockers. Lift your voice. I'm going to break it. I'm going to break a generational curse. I might be the only one in my family right now, but I'm making a way.
You were built for that! 
through right here. August 1st, 2021. I'm getting a breakthrough. I'm breaking out. I'm breaking out. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. I don't have to be contained. I don't have to be boxed in. Do you feel it breaking? Do you feel it breaking? designed to break. I know for a while that cell was a place of growth. I know for a while that cell was a place of safety. But God designed the cell to break. I said, God designed the shell to break. And the struggle that it takes for you to get out of the shell is what's going to pump the blood through your spiritual body so you can make it. That's why you can't go and help the chick hatch out of the egg. Because if you do, the chick won't make it. That's why your pastor can't break through for you. If he could, if we could, his pastors, nobody would ever backslide. That's why your first lady can't break through for you. That's why the praise team can't break through for you. That's why the choir can't break through for you. That's why your best friend can't break through for you. But let me tell you what they can do. They can stand next to you and they can lift their voice and say, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. Why don't you reach over? Why don't you reach over right now and take somebody by the hand if it's appropriate. It's breaking. It's breaking. It's breaking. Come on, brother. Come on, sister. There's life! There's life! There's life!